Conflict is a normal part of any relationship. After all, two people can't be expected to agree on everything all the time. Learning how to deal with conflict rather than avoiding it is crucial. Today, we'll be looking at the skill of dealing with conflict. This message is the eighth in the series, Relate. The message is entitled, Keep Peace. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Jesus was asked one day, what is the most important commandment of all the commandments given? All those scripture passages, Jesus, can you summarize them into the most important thing that we should remember? And Jesus said, yes, I can do that. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said the entire law is wrapped up in that one statement, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Both of those dimensions of that one commandment, loving God and loving people, involve relationships. You can't love God without building a relationship with Him and letting Him relate to you. And you and I can't love one another unless we build relationships with each other. We can say we love, but real love comes out of relationships. And while as we learn to love God and let Him love us in return, I don't have any problems with God because God is perfect, right? My problem is with you. And your problem is with me because we're not perfect. And it's been said to live above with the saints I love, that will be glory, but to live below with the folks I know, that's another story. (laughs) And so what we're trying to learn is how do we live below? How do we live here in this world with the folks we know so well and all the idiosyncrasies and all the ups and downs of people's personalities and all that kind of stuff? How do we get along with each other? More than just getting along, how do we have actually enriched relationships? How do we grow in connection with one another? And this weekend, what I want to talk to you about is I want to talk about one element of that. I want to talk to you about how to keep peace in your relationships. Every relationship, if it's going to go well, you need peace. You need an environment of peace because relationships flourish best in an environment of peace. I'm going to share with you six things that will help you to develop and keep peace in your relationships. The first thing you have to understand about peaceful relationships is you must learn to beware of what I'm going to call danger zones. Danger zones in every relationship. If you go on a road trip somewhere, particularly maybe on a scenic highway that you've never been on before, chances are somewhere along the way you're going to see a sign that's shaped something like this, and probably a bit better than that, I hope. And it's going to say something like this, danger ahead. It might have a curve sign with it, or it might have little rocks falling. If you're in the mountains, sometimes you'll see uh, little signs that remind you that rocks may be falling down. Watch out for slippery rocks, etc. There could be a variety of dangers, but on your journey toward a new destination, particularly on a scenic highway, you probably are going to run across these kinds of signs. Danger zone. Danger ahead. And what I want you to know that in every relationship of your life, there's some danger zones. There's some topics that when you approach them in your relationship with another person, they become very sensitive. They're topics that are not easy to deal with. Sometimes when you bring the topic up, emotions come out, and sometimes those emotions are, are not very pleasant. And so because of that, either you find yourself spending a lot of time going over the same stuff and arguing about the same kind of things over and over again, or sometimes you just simply avoid those issues because you realize it's a dangerous area because in the danger zones of life, there's a high tendency to be hurt. 
There's a lot of potential pain that happens to us in the danger zones. And when you and I are hurt, the natural response to hurt, if it's not properly addressed as we become angry, we get anger inside of us. And anger over a period of time becomes resentment toward a person that brings this stuff up. And then from resentment, we develop a spirit of bitterness and hostility toward an individual, which leads then to isolation. And so, while we, and the opposite, obviously, of isolation is intimacy. And so you can't have intimacy and isolation at the same time. And so it's very important that you learn to navigate the danger zones of life the right way because your hurt gets you into lots of trouble. It leads to this breaking, this chasm in relationships. So we have to learn how to properly navigate those areas of life. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27. In fact, let me ask you to read this together with me. Let's Let's all read it aloud and loudly. We're going to read from the New Living Translation. So if you will, let's read. Here we go. And don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Let's, let's think about this for a moment. There's one little letter that separates danger from anger. And what is that letter? I like to call it your decision. The D represents a decision. That when you're angry, you make a decision, D, a decision that will either lead you into anger or away from anger that leads to the potential of spiritual oppression in your life. Now, if you go home this afternoon and, and the, the devil shows up at your house and knocks on your front door and says, Hi, I'm the devil. I would love to live with you. What is your response if you're wise? What are you going to do? There's a no way. You're going to rebuke or resist the enemy. You'll say, No, you may not come into my house. This house is the property of Jesus. It belongs to Christ. He is the Lord of my life. And so you will shut out the adversary. You will shut out the devil. And obviously, if it was that simple, many of us would obviously make that kind of decision. But the enemy is much more subtle than that. The enemy tries to get in your life through these points. And the Bible says that when anger happens in these danger zones of life, and you find yourself resenting and bitter and isolated, then what you've done is you've given him a foothold. You've allowed him to have some control over your life. It doesn't mean that you're demon-possessed, but it does mean that he begins to rule over some realms of your life and create a lot of trouble. How many of you know the devil can cause trouble for you? And the enemy gets into a relationship, and he can cause you trouble. So you have to learn how to navigate these danger zones effectively and appropriately so you can stay out of this kind of trouble and obviously out of this kind of oppression. So let me quickly give you some of the ways that you properly navigate a, a tender point, or I should say a dangerous point in a relationship. The first thing is when these kind of topics come up, I'm going to give you six things here very quickly. You have to learn to, do, to address them tenderly. That is, you have to learn to, 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 to develop a tender voice in the way that you communicate about delicate topics. You have to consider the timing. It's, if you have a delicate topic that you want to talk about, you've got to choose the right time. The best time, for example, with a husband and wife, if you have a problem you're trying to deal with, it's probably not best to try to address it at midnight, okay? Or to be laying in bed and said, honey, I need to talk to you about something. 
And there in that moment, while you're preparing to go to sleep, the issue comes to the surface, and now you're trying, you realize we're both tired, and, and we're going to have to deal with this thing the whole night to get over it, and nobody's very motivated to deal with it. And so timing is very significant when you're dealing with these danger zones, because if you don't handle them in the right time, you're going to get yourself into a lot of trouble. You have to consider the tactfulness of it, that is, diplomacy, how you word things so that you can create an atmosphere where bridges are built rather than being destroyed. You have to learn how to be tentative in the way you communicate it. For example, if I have something I want to talk to my wife about that's bothering me, it's, it's probably not best. It certainly is not best if I say to her, you really made me angry the other day. You really hurt my feelings. As soon as I do that, I'll talk more about this in a moment, I've now put her on the defensive, and what, is, what I've done is I've closed down communication. But instead, if I say, honey, there's something I'd like to talk to you about, and you know, something that happened the other day, you know, I, I felt hurt by it. You may not have meant it this way, and maybe I read it the wrong way, and maybe I'm not even, maybe you, this is not even anything I should be concerned about, but I just would like to talk about it. Is that okay? What did I do just then? I put it in a tentative term where I'm saying maybe I'm responsible for it too. It's not just your problem. It's something we can work on together. I'm not attacking you. I'm addressing a problem that I need to resolve, and maybe it's even my fault. See, when you're driving down a dangerous road, you're very tentative in the way you drive. You're very careful in what you do. And so all of these things have an impact in the way that you communicate in the end result, whether it be peace or isolation. Then you learn to know when to table something. When do I just lay something aside? You know, sometimes you get into an argument about a, a, t a dangerous topic, if you will, a sensitive topic, and, uh, and your, your, your emotions get built up in the situation, and before long, you're not, you're not making any progress at all, and one of the best things you can do is say, you know what, time out. Everybody say time out. Time out is a good thing. In fact, marriage researchers have found that it takes, in the midst of a heated argument or conflict, that it takes at the very least 10 minutes for your emotions, even the psychology, your, your mind, the neurotransmitters and the chemistry going on in your brain, it takes from the midst of a heated conflict for you to get back to some semblance of ability to logically and rationally deal with something. It takes at least 10 minutes of separation from the issue to let yourself calm down enough to where you can even approach it again. And so sometimes you just need to say, we need a little bit of break here. Let's take a break. And it's a good thing to take a break when arguments are getting out of hand. And then the last thing I'll mention here in this point is to learn to trust God. You know, sometimes we try to fix things in relationships that we have no business trying to fix. And sometimes one of the best things that you can do when there's a problem in a relationship is instead of you trying to fix it, turn it over to God and say, God, I can't fix this. I'm asking you to take charge of what I can't handle because I have learned in my life that God can fix things a lot better than I can. How about you? And a lot of times when I step in and try to fix something that I think is a problem, I actually make it worse. Anybody want to join me today and say, whoa, that's me. I've tried to fix something in a relationship before, and when the thing was done, it was worse than it was when I started, okay? Because you do it your way, and many times it's the wrong way, and what happens is you create more problems, and one of the best things you can do is say, God, you know what, I'm just going to give this to you right now. I'm not saying that you avoid all, all, all uh, conversations about things, but some conversations ought to be just given to God and say, God, I'm going to trust you to work in this situation. Because what can happen, listen, what can happen is when you're praying about it and trusting to God is that God can work not only in the other person, but God can also work in you. 
And sometimes the real issue is not even with the other person. Sometimes the real issue is with you and with me. And so it gives God the opportunity to work. And so ultimately, you put it in God's hands. But you have to be able to navigate these dangerous zones that can create all kinds of problems for your relationship. Number two, you need to own your feelings, your attitudes, and your actions. Own them. Ownership is a part of growing up. It's a part of maturity. When you grow up, you own things, right? When you get old enough, you, you probably buy your first car, right? And maybe you saved up the money and you bought your first car and you own it, or maybe you, you got a loan on it, and maybe the bank really owns it, but you're making the payments on it, but you still are responsible for it, right? If you buy a house, you have the ownership responsibility. You have to make the payments. And so part of growing up is owning things. And one of the ways you know that someone is not very mature is that they, re they resist ownership. They don't want to own stuff. They want to put everything else on somebody else. It happens in a relationship like this. I made reference to it a moment ago, that when something comes up, let me just give you an example from, from perhaps my, my marriage. If I say to my wife, honey, you make me so mad. You make me so angry. When I said to her, you make me so angry, what did I do when I said that? Where did I place the responsibility? completely over on her, that everything, that my life would be wonderful if it weren't for the crazy, stupid things she's doing. And so now I've taken my stuff and I put it over here on her and I don't have any responsibility. Why? Because I've just established myself as the victim. I've just made myself the innocent party and I've made her the guilty party. And so I don't have to do anything. It's all on her to fix this. You see what I'm saying? And that is totally irresponsible. That is not being an adult. An adult says, I am contributing something to every issue in my life. And all of us have something that we need to own. And ownership is extremely valuable when it comes to our attitudes. No one, listen to me, no one can make you feel anything. You choose to feel the way you feel, by the way you think. You have to make the choice. Say, I'm not going to let, are you going to give other people that much control in your life that they can make you feel things? Okay. You make a choice. No, I'm not going to be under the control of other people by letting them control my life by my feelings. I have some ownership. I can choose whether I'm going to be happy or mad or sad. I have some ownership because I choose to be a mature individual. I will own up to the things I need to own up to. There's a great story about this in the Bible, many stories in the Bible about this. Let me tell you quickly one that you're familiar with. It's the story of David, David and Bathsheba. David goes up on the roof of his house one night. He sees Bathsheba bathing, and he has lust in his heart. And out of that comes an adulterous relationship. And in that, out of that adulterous relationship come a couple of things, a, a pregnancy that occurs where the baby ends up dying. And then also, in addition to that, uh, Uriah the Hittite, the husband of Bathsheba, is placed in a vulnerable position and battled, and he's killed. In essence, David becomes a murderer. And so a lot of stuff, a lot of bad things happen. And David very easily, when he realizes that all this stuff has gone down, all this stuff has become a great big mess, David, when Nathan the prophet finally comes to him and confronts him with his sin, David could have easily said, you know what, everything would have been great had it not been for Bathsheba out there bathing in the nude. 
If she had not been out there doing what she was doing, I would have been okay. I would have not had this problem had she not been doing what she was doing. And easily, David could have attempted to blame the entire situation on Bathsheba, on something else. But I want you to notice in the Bible, in Psalm chapter 51, how David defend, how David deals with this situation. Verse number 4, the first part says, this is his prayer, after he realizes that he sinned, he said, against you and you alone have, what's the next pronoun there? I. Have I sinned? Not has Bathsheba sinned, but how have I sinned? I have done what is evil in your sight. David there in that moment owned the responsibility for his failure. It is a sign of maturity in his life. Maturity always relates to ownership. Number three, avoid. If you're trying to build peace in a relationship, avoid superlatives, comparisons, and exaggerations. Superlatives, Comparisons and exaggerations. Let's explain those three for a moment. When you're in conflict with another person, you will have the tendency to want to go to superlatives, comparisons, and exaggerations. Here's a superlative. Argument about household duties or chores. You always leave your clothes in the middle of the floor. You always leave this house in a mess. Now, if a wife is saying that to a husband, what does the husband hear? One word. Always. That's his way out. Because he remembers, no, actually, there was one time last week, okay, that I didn't do that. So your entire argument is invalid. So now the defense attorney steps into the situation. No, I don't always do that. Yes, you do. You always. No, I don't always do it. You do. You always. No, I don't always. And then there comes this argument back and forth. Or, you never tell me you love me. Well, yes, I do. I told you when I married you. Okay. Okay. Right? Never. You see these words? They're, They're powerful words. We don't think about them when we speak them, but actually... They create more problems than they bring about solutions because they, they, they continue to keep things in conflict. They create defensive reactions back and forth that are not necessary. You could better say things. You know, honey, it seems like from time to time I struggle with the fact that, you know, it would be such a help if you could pick your clothes up. Can we talk about that a little bit? See the difference? Instead, you always leave your clothes there. See the difference in communication? One is peacemaking and the other is not. Let's talk about comparisons for a moment. No one likes to be compared with somebody else. If you could just be like Joe's wife, why don't you just go marry Joe's wife then, okay? If you wanted Joe's wife, why didn't you marry her? Or if you could just be like Sally's husband, or you could just be like such and such. What happens again in that situation? You're creating a defensive response. There's nothing that is building a bridge there. Then there's the exaggerations. Let me give you a word that goes along with exaggerations. Are you ready for this word? Trauma. Oh, some of you guys are amazing with the trauma you create in your house. I mean, an argument comes up, and man, you ought to be on reality TV. It's what you really should do. We should have a program just for you. 
because there's all this drama that happens, and oh, this is the worst thing that has ever happened in our lives. This is terrible. We have the worst marriage in the whole world. Because you let things go to extremes, and the drama begins to occur, and as I told you before, one of the greatest T-shirts I've ever seen says it this way, save the drama for your mama. Okay? 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 You don't need it in a relationship. Okay? Maybe your mama can put up with it. Okay? But every other relationship, you don't need it there. Okay? You know, there's some people that thrive on drama. They thrive on crisis. It's as though they have to have a crisis. And there are people like that. They're always looking for something to create a crisis out of. And let me tell you something. One of the best things you can learn in your, your relationships is just learn to chill out, okay? Just to chill it out and say, you know, let's, let's, let's bring this drama down for a bit. And let's just make it a, a real situation that we're trying to work on and trying to deal with. So avoid superlatives, always, never. Avoid comparisons, I wish you were like. And avoid drama, avoid the exaggerations. Look at what the Scripture says about this in uh, the book of Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19. Would you read this together with me? Let's all read it loud and loudly. Here we go. The more talk, the less truth. The wise measure their words. I want to tell you something. If you keep talking, you're going to start lying. At some point in time, the more you talk, at some point in time, you're going to exaggerate something. At some point in time, you're going to stretch the truth. At some point in time, if your mouth is moving consistently, you are ultimately going to get yourself into trouble. That's why it's important to learn how to put a, 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 a right kind of control on your tongue. Number four, be a peacemaker. Be a peacemaker. I'm going to sort of draw a little diagram here for a moment. Everybody good so far? Okay. In, in personalities, different people are different in their personalities, obviously, in a lot of different ways. One of the differences in people is that some people are, are very um, intimidated by conflict. I mean, it's like the worst thing in the world for them. They really hate it, and they just can't almost bear any kind of conflict. And the, there are other folks over here, I call them uh, boxers, okay? They actually are people who are kind of, they, they, they love a good fight, man. They love a good fight. And if there's not a fight going on, they will make one, okay? Because they love it. They just love to fight. It's just something about it. And they actually, uh, the Bible actually says something about this. The Bible refers to these folks as contentious always contending, contentious. And the goal in a relationship is, what's the goal? Peace. Why? Because peace is the, your, your relationship is going to flourish. It's going to be the best it can be when there's an atmosphere of peace, right? It's just much better when everything's at peace. And so when conflicts come up, this person over here kind of runs away and this one runs too, and so you got one chasing the other, okay, into their cave, right? And here's the problem. Usually these folks marry these folks. It's amazing, it's so often true, that opposites attract until you get married. And then after you're married, they actually can repel. Is it something before you get married with a person that's like, wow, they're different from me. That's amazing. They can do things that I can't do. 
and then you get married. Why do they always do things different than I do them, okay? Well, because you married them, okay? They were opposite of you, okay? But we don't take time to figure that out before we get married, and so once we're married, we've got these big differences that we thought were so cool beforehand. They're not so cool now because we're, we're in a different world, okay? We're having to get along with this person that's so different from us. And so it happens in lots of areas. For example, in the financial realm, uh, oftentimes in a marriage, you'll have one person that's a spender, another one that's a saver. They get together, okay? And so you have conflict over finances, a lot of different areas of this nature. And so the, what has to happen is that we have to learn how to take these personalities and bring them together so that the atmosphere of the relationship is one of peace, okay? And that involves movement on both parts. Both parts have to move. Now, I've given you some statements there in your notes. But before I read them, let's look at what the Scripture says. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 9, God blesses those who work for peace. So let's notice the word work. You've got to work for it. For they will be called the children of God. The old translation said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Uh, Matthew 5, 9, for the message paraphrase, you're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of compete or fight. That's when you discover who you really are and your place in God's family. And so the whole goal, again, is to make peace, to make sure this atmosphere is an atmosphere of peace. And you have to work toward it. So here are seven things. Would you read them with me very quickly? And then we'll move to our last two points uh, to wrap up today. The first one, you have to genuinely value peace. If you value fighting over peace, what are you going to have in your marriage? What are you going to have in your friendships? You have a lot of fighting. So you've got to value peace. We want, we want to make peace. We want peace to be in our relationship. Number two, clear your spirit of contention. Whose responsibility is it to get the contention out of your spirit? It's not somebody else's, it's yours. We have to get our spirits and hearts clean before God. Number three, seek, read with me, seek resolution and reconciliation when conflict surfaces. Notice that you can have resolution without reconciliation. You can resolve something with someone and still not be friends with them, okay? Or you can have reconciliation. Well, we'll try to get along, but this issue is not resolved. You can have reconciliation without resolution. But the highest goal in any relationship is to have both of these things, resolution and reconciliation. Number four, freely ask for forgiveness, that when you've messed up, one of the best things you can do is say, I'm sorry, please forgive me for. Now, these are tough, tough words for people to say. I cannot tell you over the years how many people that I've met that do not know how to say, I am sorry, please forgive me for. They will not use those words. They will not say it. And so because of that, their relationships struggle terribly because they never, ever genuinely apologize. Would you say with me right now, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Say that. I'm sorry, please forgive me. So you can say it, okay? Turn to your neighbor right now and say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. Go ahead and do it. Say, I'm sorry, please forgive me. You say, what am I apologizing for? I don't know, but you, there'll be something, okay? Just think you got one in the bucket already, one taken care of right now, okay? I'm sorry, please forgive me. If you can get that into your vocabulary, it's huge. It is amazing what will happen in your relationships. And so learn how to apologize. Number five, quickly do what? Forgive. Let me show you why this is important. You don't wait for somebody to apologize before you forgive them. Because if you wait for somebody to apologize before you forgive them, you're going to be waiting a long time because very few people know how to apologize. Remember, I just told you that, okay? 
Very few people will know how to say I'm sorry. And so if you're waiting for people to say I'm sorry, you're going to be waiting a long time. You're going to have a whole bunch of bitterness inside of you. And so you've got to learn to say, whether they apologize or not, I will not be my own victim of resentment. I will not let bitterness have a place inside of me. Whether they apologize, good if they do, if they don't, what's the big deal? I'm going to choose to walk in forgiveness anyway. I'm going to do it sooner rather than later. Don't sit around and stew for a day or a week on something and get your, you know, just say, you know what, I'm just going to let me, I'm just going to sit, I'm going to make you pay for a little while before I forgive you. That's what we do oftentimes. You know, you really hurt me, so for the next hour, I might forgive you in an hour. I'm going to put a time clock on, but for the next hour, you are going to suffer. <laughs> or I'm going to forgive you in a day, but for the next day, you're going to pay for what you just said to me. And so what you do is you choose to forgive as quickly as you possibly can. Next one, number six, relinquish your right to be. Man, that is tough, because in an argument, what do you want to be? Right. I am right. I want to be right. I'm going to show you that I'm right. It doesn't matter if I have a heart attack while I'm proving to you that I'm right. It doesn't matter if my blood pressure goes to 250 over 120. I'm still going to show you I'm right. And from my casket, you will know I am right. Okay. 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 Right? So we are proving that we're right. You know, sometimes, so what? Who cares? At the end of the day, who cares how right you are all the time? Part of what has to happen is we get to the place of saying, you know what, I'm going to give up my right to always have to be right. Guess what? You don't have to be right all the time. And whether you realize it or not, you're not right all the time. And it helps us to come to that place of humility. The next one is pray for what? Peace. Make it a part of your prayer. Number five, make big and regular deposits in the love accounts of others. I'm going to cover this very, very quickly. We've talked about it before, so I don't need to spend a lot of time here. Everybody has a love bucket. We'll call it that. The greatest love you need is from God because other people cannot fill up your love bucket, your love tank, if you will. We all need love from God first and foremost. We also need, we benefit from the love of others. What you want to do is you want to make sure that in any relationship that you're actually building love, pouring love into the relationship so that, watch this, so that when you hit a dangerous moment, when you hit a conflict, when you hit a bump in the road, when you hit an issue that's tough, you have some resources to draw from, right? You with me here? Okay. It's like a bank account. You know, if you have enough, if you've saved up some money in your bank account, and you created some margin in your, in your monthly budget, then when you have an unexpected bill, what happens? It doesn't freak you out. It doesn't, like, kill you at that point. It's like, okay, yeah, it wasn't the pleasant thing, but you know what? We've, we've saved up. We've got enough margin here to where we can handle it. Well, think about this in the love accounts of your life. If you build up enough love there, then when you have something that drains on the relationship, well, yeah, you feel it, but it, it's not as devastating as it might be if you were empty on the inside, Right? Okay? And so you have to learn to pour in love with one another. Now, here's the key. Not everybody receives love the same way. We talked about this a few weeks ago and talking about love languages. We have different languages that we speak. And so what, what communicates love to me is different than what 
uh, communicates love to my wife. After I talked that, taught that message on uh, love languages a few weeks ago, my wife and I went and took the test again just to make sure we fully understood each other and had a little frame of reference again because it had been a while since we talked about that. And guess what? My love language, my number one love language, I'm not going to tell you what it is, but my number one love language was her last love language. Isn't that amazing? And her number one love language, guess what it was for me? It was my last one, okay? So here's the problem. I'm over here trying to show her I love her, speaking my language, and what is it doing over here with her? (laughs) And vice versa, when she's trying to speak, if she speaks from her own language to me, what's happening over, over with me? I'm not receiving. I'm not getting the thing that she's trying to give. And so we learn each other's language so that now I can better give her what communicates love to her and she can give to me what communicates love to me and we fill each other's tank. And so that when a conflict comes up, we're not, we're not operating out of an empty well. We have a deposit there uh, that will help us to draw from. Notice Philippians chapter 1, verse 9. I love this verse from the message paraphrase. So descriptive. So this is my prayer, that your love will flourish and that you will not only love much but well. Not just love much, but love well. It's know how to do it well. Learn to love how? appropriately learn what communicates love and here's my last point today if you're going to build peace in a relationship you have to pray play worship and work together pray play worship and work pray play worship and work say it with me pray play worship and work together pray pray together One of the best ways to build intimacy in a relationship is to pray with one another. Whether it's praying with a husband and wife, praying together, or a father, mother, or mother, father, single parent, praying with their children, friends praying together. That's why life groups are so important, because you get together with friends, and you don't just hang out and eat donuts, but you actually pray together. You pray for one another, okay? You actually spend some time interacting with prayer. These things are valuable because it helps you to make connections that you would not make any other way. There's nothing more intimate than praying with someone. That, to me, I believe, is one of the most intimate things that you can do. And it's one of the most challenging things you'll ever learn to do in your marriage is to learn to spend some time praying together over the issues of your life. Then number two, play. Play together. Why is playing together so important? Because play represents this word. It's called fun. And from fun come positive memories. And the reason that a lot of, a lot of couples or friendships, but let me stay with the marriage analogy for a moment, a lot, a lot of times in marriage, the reason that when conflicts come up that they become so big is because not only do they have empty love tanks, they've not been filling any love with each other, but also they don't have any positive memories. For, it's been a long time since they had a positive memory. Because they haven't been doing anything fun together, okay? And so when you go out and do some things fun as a husband and wife, then what you do is you actually build memories that actually stick inside of you so when the trouble, challenging moments come, you again have something to draw on. It's not, well, you know what, this might be bad for the moment, but boy, we do have some good times together. But I remember when we went to that event or we did that thing together. So you have a, a memory there that you draw on that gives you strength to make it through the tough times. Everybody needs some playtime in their life. 
That's why you need to have, as a husband and wife, you need to have, uh, you need to have a date time, a date night, a date event. You say, well, I can't afford that. Listen, there are a lot of things you can do that, doesn't, that will not cost you anything. Sometimes it's just spending time together, doing something that's, you know, we live in an area, by the way, there's a lot of stuff you can do that's a lot of fun for free. Isn't that amazing, okay? We live in one of the greatest places in the United States of America for museums and things that you can do and places you can go and parks you can visit and those kind of things that will not cost you hardly anything at all, but it'll give you something to have opportunity to do. And so find some fun things to do. Play together. Why? You're building memories. And then worship together. Worship together. I am so thankful that you're here today worshiping. Many of you as a family, you brought your kids, your husband, your wife. I'll tell you why that's important. Because whether you realize it or not, when you're together with with your family in God's house, you have opened yourself to the work of God in your life. Because I want you to know something. God is in this place. Okay? God is in this place. God's here, okay? Now, I don't... Listen, I don't say that because of the name of the church on the door. What I'm telling you is I'm telling you from God's Word, okay? Jesus said, where two or three have gathered together in my name, He said, I will be there with you. And so you must understand that when you walk through the doors of this church or wherever church God plants you in, that you have now stepped into another dimension of the presence of God. You may not feel it. You may not have goosebumps on top of your goosebumps. Your hair may not stand up on the back of your head. You may not feel a quiver in your liver. It doesn't matter, okay? But you're in the presence of God. You're in God's house with God's people. And so something is saturating into your spirit today whether you realize it or not. You're being saturated in the presence of God. And that strengthens your family, okay? That helps you to make it. It's not the only thing. You can't just come to church and live like the devil when you go home and expect to have a good family, okay? You you need to be applying this stuff. You have to learn it and live it in your life, but it, it adds to the instruction, the atmosphere, so you worship it. There are many studies that have been done that successful families, the most successful families, have a pattern of worshiping together. That's why you need to be in God's house every time you have the opportunity to make it a part of the big commitment of your life. Then the last one, you pray together, you play together, you worship together, and you work together, okay? Let me talk about that one just for a moment, and we'll be done. Working here, I'm talking about in an atmosphere of ministry. One of the greatest ways to grow your relationships is not just to hang out with people, but to actually do something with people for the advance of God's kingdom. That's why you need to be involved in a ministry in the church, whatever that ministry is, from serving in the nursery to working in the parking lot to work with the youth or serving as an usher or a greeter or serving on some team here, whatever it might be. But when you get involved working in the church, then actually it raises you to another level of maturity. You cannot, listen closely, you can't mature to the highest level of spiritual maturity without serving. You can't, okay? Now, I love you, but I'm going to tell you the truth. You can't. You can't mature to the highest level of spiritual life unless you're serving somewhere. And you know, there are a lot of Christians that they spend their whole life with what I call the bib mentality. They, they're wearing a bib their whole life. Feed me, feed me, feed me, pastor, feed me. Feed me. And you're already like this big, okay? Like, feed me, feed me, feed me, okay? And they never do anything. And I tell people all the time, you need to trade in your bib for an apron. Because at some point in time, you don't need a bib anymore. You need to put on an apron and start feeding somebody else. Amen? Okay? Listen, 
I, I, I don't, don't clap, you're taking my time away from me, okay? So, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm just joking with you. It blesses me when I walk by the nursery over here and I see people from our church in there taking care of kids while others are in here allowed to worship. Isn't that beautiful? It blesses me when I look out my window and I see those, those, those folks out in the parking lot parking cars and making a way for people to get in here and helping you get come in and helping you go out. Uh, as you ha- It blesses me when I see ushers helping people find their way to a, to a seat and making sure the atmosphere is taken care of. It blesses me when I see people working in our, our youth department or working with our children down there teaching them and imparting to their lives. See, this is what it's all about. And part of what will help you in your relationships is when you start working together. If you're a husband and wife, get involved in ministry ministry somewhere. It doesn't have to be in the same department. It's wonderful if it is. It doesn't have to be. But at least in the same church, invest yourself in some dimension of ministry. Why? Because it grows you up. It gives you another point of commonality to share with. It's a very valuable thing for your life. Amen? So Jesus said, blessed are the troublemakers. Is that what he said? No. Okay. He said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, thank you for your word today. Thank you for speaking to us. We ask in Jesus' name that you'll seal this word in our heart. Help us to grow in you from this time forward, from what we've heard today. Challenge us and change us, we ask in Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us for today's message. I trust that you've heard something from God's word that'll make a difference in your life now and forever. Maybe as you were listening to today's message, God began to speak to you about a personal relationship with Himself. You know, the most important thing we can ever establish in our life is a relationship with God, and we do that by opening our hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. If you've never invited Jesus into your life, today is your day. It's your opportunity. And I want to lead you in a prayer right now that you can pray that will forever change your life, that will allow your name to be written in the book of life for eternity. All you need to do is simply pray this prayer with me and mean it in your heart. If you'll mean this prayer, God will hear you. The Bible says that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So would you pray with me right now? Whisper these words to God or speak them out right where you are. Say, Jesus, just mention his name. Say, Jesus, I admit to you today that that I am a sinner and I'm sorry, God, for everything I've done wrong. Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you are God's Son, the Savior the Redeemer. I thank you that you died on the cross for me and that you rose again. I believe in you, Jesus. And then whisper this prayer. Say, Lord, today I invite you to come into my life, to forgive me of my sins, to give me a brand new start in you. I give my life to you today in Jesus' name. Lord, I thank you for those that prayed that prayer with me, and I ask that now they would continue to grow in you and serve you faithfully from this day forward in Jesus' name. If you just prayed that prayer with me, friend, I want you to know that Jesus Christ heard you, that your name has been written in that wonderful book of life, and that now today you start a brand new life in Christ. And to do so, you need some help. You need to learn how to live your life for Jesus every day. We'd like to provide for you. In fact, we have available for you some resources that you can get from our website, church-redeemer.org, that will help you to get a good start in your relationship with Jesus Christ. So again, check out the website, church-redeemer.org. Find those resources that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. If you've prayed with the pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to www.church-redeemer.org newbeginnings. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.